Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry, I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think I'm a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 147 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where we do not worship men here at all. Definitely not. (laughs) Where men are dumb and they're dumber than we even thought they were previously. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm Karen Peterson, joined as always by the amazing Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. How are you, Lauren? I'm tired. <laughs> that is how I am. I am tired. It is cold. It is dark. It still, I still haven't been vaccinated. I want to get vaccinated. So I'm going to get a vaccine. I know. I, we had gotten this notification from work because I do work in a, in a school. Um, I've been very fortunate to be able to work from home, but because uh, my job, I work with adults and my job is much different. But um we got a notification that the county that I work in was going to give us the vaccines too. And we were like, wow, this is awesome. And now the governor is like, mm, we're going to just make it by age instead. And I'm like, mm, that's not cool. Yeah, they, so. they, keep on, they keep on changing things around. I mean, at least uh-huh. in New York, they haven't, um, they haven't done anything like that where, ac- you know, they haven't done like, well, actually, maybe we're going to change this again. But yeah it's it's just like just distribute the fucking vaccines please right i want my parents to be vaccinated i do know some people who have who have gotten the vaccine people that are teachers and nurses so it's real there are actually like distributing them it's just taking forever yeah well i think the problem is because of the fact that the supply has not been what anybody expected so now they're trying to figure out like okay well who are the priorities and yeah, like course. for myself, because of the fact that I am still working from home and I live alone and all that, it's like, yeah, I would like to get it, but I also don't consider myself anywhere close to being a priority for it. And there are other people that I would rather them be able to get it before I can. But it's like, I know some really healthy 70 year olds and some really, you know, at risk 30 year olds. It's like the 30 year olds should be able to get it. It should be about your level of risk more than your age but i don't know that's just me and i'm not in charge because i think about things logically (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah it's just like i think january has been probably the longest month in the history of long months even longer than last year's march which i'm amazed by i mean aren't we still in last year's march really i you know what I realized yesterday? I was just like, wait a minute. That whole like attempted coup was a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Like that was January. That wasn't even last month. Why was that not last month? I'm going to cry. <laughs> oh man. Do you remember way back when there was that Christmas day bombing in Nashville? I do. That was like, that was like two six years weeks ago. ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's two years ago. That was two years ago. <laughs> yeah. 
all right it's well. just yeah it's and we never talk about it because there's been so much stuff that's happened in the news since then like there was a bomb in the middle of a city that took out blocks and we never talk about it sorry it's just one of those things where i'm like what is yeah. happening in the world I agree. I agree. it's crazy anyway well um this week sadly we lost two two legends which is just it was just a one-two punch cicely tyson and cloris leachman both lived to very wonderful old ages and so we got many many decades of wonderful work from them but it was sad to see both of them go especially just one right after the other like that yeah it's it's that kind of thing that you you, you begin to expect i mean they were both what course was 94 cicely tyson was 96 mm-hmm. um and and so you're like okay they lived really long really full lives like you know it's it's very sad but it's also okay this is natural or something but at the same time it's it's it is sad because they were such icons yeah um, and they were people too obviously mm-hmm. but you know in terms of the way that we understand them um as as the public and of course when Cloris Leachman passed I was like no not Frau Blucher like, <laughs> um but she was so wonderful she you know she did so much tv and stage and film and like it's it's amazing how I, I didn't even realize that she had done a voice on Bob's Burgers at one point. <laughs> um, I rewatched that episode, and uh, yeah, it's 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 sad, but it's also nice, I, I guess, to to kind of step back and reflect on these people and how influential they were. Yeah, yeah. Well, and they both were really active just up until just within yeah. the last couple of years. I mean, Cicely Tyson, man, last year I was pitched and i was trying to book we weren't able to do it but an interview with her because she was on how to get away with murder mm-hmm. um and yeah and then it's like cloris leachman was just was on dancing with the stars a couple of years ago which was just amazing like it's just yeah so i think that's the thing like some of these some of these people like a lot of times when we lose stars in their 90s they haven't really been active for a few years so it's only people who really pay attention to older movies older tv that even remember them but people like like this every generation that's currently alive has some familiarity with their work yeah nope yeah they they were remarkable they really were and uh they will definitely be missed um so there's so much to talk about this week um <laughs> is, on, isn't there <laughs> yeah there there always is but uh on a less remarkable um topic <laughs> i guess i don't know how to transition to this but uh so there was some buzz a few weeks ago once once a promising young woman was finally coming out in theaters Carrie Mulligan was uh, doing press. She was interviewed and she commented on a review that had been written back at Sundance when the movie premiered. And at the time she said that she normally doesn't read reviews, doesn't really pay attention or internalize them, but there was just something about this one that really bothered her. (laughs) It's because it was super sexist. uh anyway so she 
yeah so why don't you talk about this article because this uh <laughs> the guardian published something was that this week that this came out? yeah yeah this this all kind of came back because um because recently in an interview with an interview with i think it was actually an interview with variety um another interview with variety video interview mulligan brought up this this review again and because it was published in variety wasn't it yeah and yeah. and variety actually reprimanded the writer for it they did um, even though they had published it yeah and, I, and let's talk i think we should talk about that in a minute but yeah so so again it, it came up again and mulligan was sort of talking about um ba basically the the main one of the major things that, it's, a, it's not a great review, it is very sexist, but one of the major things that I think Mulligan kind of noticed and that is sort of hard not to notice is that the review essentially says that Mulligan is miscast or, or is an odd casting choice because she's not that hot, right? And the implication in the review and the way that the review is worded was that she's essentially, she's not hot enough for men to want to rape. Uh, and this, of course, when the review was initially published, and then the first time Milligan talked about it, this caused a lot of excitement and anger. Um, because the reviewer also referenced the fact that Margot Robbie is a producer on Promising Young Woman. And that why was, you know, she often produces projects that she wants to work on. So why didn't she play the role? And so you're sitting there going like, okay, so now, first of all, you're setting up Mulligan and Robbie as being some way in competition with each other, or, you know, Robbie is more likely for men to want to rape. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and Mulligan's reaction to all of this was a pretty natural one, a pretty normal one, but it was definitely pushing back against this, this concept of just like, you know, somehow I was not hot enough for this role. And of course, that, con that kind of commentary is one, incredibly offensive and two, incredibly common. Um, there's this whole idea that actresses, that, that rape generally is an expression of desire and is an expression of like, oh, she's hot. It's like, no, a woman's, you know, your perception of a woman's attractiveness has nothing to do with whether or not she can be raped. Like, that's insane. Um, but it is this attitude that rape is, is about about desire it isn't about violence which is really it, it is about violence it's about power it's about men taking power over women um and that's what needed to be discussed and instead this guy was, was basically like well i would totally try to rape margot robbie but not try to rape carrie mulligan and that was essentially what was on what was the undercurrent of all of this this reviewer after being reprimanded by variety then responds saying that like well i was really not happy about being called a misogynist it was being implied that i was a misogynist which of course then you were being a misogynist dude like you were that is exactly what that kind of language is you were talking about the differences between carrie mulligan and margot robbie and their rapeability like that's essentially what was going on here um, so, of course, a number of female critics, primarily female critics, pushed back on this. I was interested in the number of a few female critics, but also a, a large number of male critics basically saying, um, well, no, he, 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 you know, we're ruining his career. He, should, he shouldn't be reprimanded for this kind of thing. It, it's so obvious in all of this that a lot of men and some women have 
no awareness of what misogynist language looks like, what it sounds like, and the damage that it actually does. Because what he was parroting was not something that he made up, right? This was this is something that is common in um, in talking about both real life rape, rape victims and uh, women on screen. And essentially, what happened was Mulligan pushed back. She said, "I'm not going to take this shit." And uh, I, I saw several people on several women on Twitter talking about the fact that this is kind of the next step in Me Too. It isn't just you know, saying, you know, saying I have been a victim or, uh, or I have felt victimized or I have experienced sexual harassment or sexual violence, but it is actually saying like, we're not going to, to allow for this kind of language anymore because whether or not this dude, you know, no one's saying that this guy is a rapist or anything like that, but he is quite obviously a misogynist and he's using, he's using classic misogynist language and then is getting hurt by the fact that people are responding and saying you're a misogynist yeah so uh first of all i love how his his um defense is i did not say or even mean to imply mulligan is not hot enough for the role and then he says i'm a 60 year old gay man i don't actually go around dwelling on the comparative hotnesses of young actresses let alone writing about that um let's go to the review <laughs> he says this is what he specifically said so no he did not say she's not hot enough he wrote about it in a different way he said mulligan a fine actress seems a bit of an odd choice as this admittedly many layered apparent femme fatale margot robbie is a producer here and one can perhaps too easily imagine the role might once have been intended for her whereas with this star cassie wears her pickup bait gear like bad drag even her long blonde hair seems a put on the flat american accent she delivers in her lowest voice register likewise seems a bit meta though it's not quite clear what the quote marks around this performance signify I want to know how anyone can read that and think oh yeah this is totally fine for a reviewer to be talking about in his review mm -hmm. like i i i'm i've read that review a couple of times i'm still appalled by it mm -hmm. uh and you know it's it's interesting because one of the one of the things that i've heard a lot and i think many women have heard a lot is that gay men cannot possibly be misogynist <laughs> right like and that's one of the things because I get, because again, there's this idea, it's the same thing with rape. It, there's this idea that misogyny is about sexuality, right? That it's about desire at some level. Mm -hmm. that, and so only heterosexual men can be misogynists. And I, I have to say it, the, some of the nastiest misogynists that I have encountered in my life, just as an individual, as, a, as an individual cisgender woman, have been gay men and part, part of that is because they feel that they are allowed to express it in a way that straight men are not allowed to express it because well i'm not a sexual threat to you it's like no but you're a threat to me in a whole lot of other ways you can be the, some of the descriptions that i have heard of women by gay men is true are truly fucking appalling and it is misogynist right mm -hmm. so this whole idea that like his language is acceptable because he's gay. I like 
that's a non-starter. We've, we've got to get out of this mindset. We've got to get out of this idea that you like get a pass because you're getting, you know what? You can be transgender and be a misogynist. You can be female and be a misogynist. Yep, exactly. Be a cisgender woman and be a misogynist. Like it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with your sexuality or your gender identity. No, it doesn't. It's everything to do with what you're saying and who you're attacking and how. And honestly, the more subtle it is, the more insidious that it is, because then you can hide behind, oh, well, I I didn't mean it that way. I'm surprised anybody took it that way, you know? And it's just like, come on, man, come on. So I'm glad that Carrie Mulligan called it out. I'm glad that she said something about it and that she didn't just say it once and was done with it. Like she's talked about it again. What's um, interesting is how Variety chose to handle this. They have added an editor's note to the original review that says, Variety sincerely apologizes to Carrie Mulligan and regrets the insensitive language and insinuation in our review of Promising Young Women that minimized her daring performance. Hmm. Well, maybe you should have thought about that a year ago before you let this be published. Yeah, and, and this this is where, and I've seen a couple of defenses of this dude, but I think that I think that they're misplaced defenses. He should never have written this. He should have known better. Mm-hmm. And any writer should know what kind of language they are using and why. And obviously, this guy did not interrogate it at all. Like he didn't even recognize the fact that this that this might be misogynist, right? Right. Um, the other side of it is that we've seen this a lot, um, particularly with male reviewers, where you you get reviews that are poorly written or that are obviously intended to be offensive at some level. And it's, and the editors have just let them go. So someone has, cause someone reads these reviews, particularly in these big publications. And someone looked at this and said, this is fine. And one does question why if someone looked at this and said it was fine, did they maybe look at it and say like, actually, this is really controversial and this is potentially offensive, but we're going to go with it anyways, because it's going to get us attention. Uh, it's going to get us clicks. And that's, that's, I kind of think that that's what Variety is doing right here. I hate to say it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the whole, the whole idea is just like, oh, we're sorry that you, you know, we're sorry to have offended and minimized you. Just like, then why did you publish the fucking review? Why mm-hmm. did you publish it? You could have come back and said, like, you know what, man, I think we're going to cut some of these lines out because they could be misconstrued. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and this is where it comes back to, like, okay, you're, you don't have to necessarily just have only women reviewing movies like this. I think there's some value in hearing male perspectives, especially on a movie like Promising Young Woman. But then you need to have a woman editing it. And questioning what's written there you know and and you this is why you just need more diverse writing staffs and editorial staff so that you get you know you get those conversations before any of this ever gets to print yeah it's you know and I, i mean having read through the guardian article and his sort of defense of it again we all see the critics who are also responding and being like, oh no, he's totally justified. It's just like, oh, so you're you're cool with this. All right, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he basically, his, his, apo- his apology as it were, is just basically, well, I'm sorry she was offended. It's not really, you know, he could have come out and said, you know what, uh, she's right. I made a serious mistake. This was a, a 
this was a bad idea. Um, it wasn't what I intended, but I understand and I, I'm going to work on it. Like that would at least be respectable. And I don't understand, given the past four years, given Me Too and Time's Up, all of this stuff, how it is that men are still in this same kind of mindset where not only do they have to defend themselves for behaving like this, but they can't even say like, you know what, when so many women keep saying this is misogynist, maybe, maybe it is. Maybe that has the smallest portion of truth in it. And I should take a step back and think about that. Ugh. Yeah. Um, it, well, <laughs> what really frustrates me too, like there's so many things about this whole situation that yeah. frustrate me, but it's like, yeah. he also got facts about the movie wrong. <laughs> and <laughs> so it's like, See, it's just a bad critic generally. All right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I can't say specifically what he got wrong because there's still a lot of people who haven't gotten to see it yet. But it's just like everything about this is bad. There just needs to be more accountability. And the fact that that he's just like, oh, well, I didn't mean it that way. People took it wrong. And Variety's just like, oh, sorry, guys. Um, oopsie. And that's it. They're just waiting for this to... To blow over and the thing is that eventually it will i mean we just talked about the fact that there was a bomb in a major city six weeks ago and we never talk about that so you know this will go away and yeah it i think that this individual thing will go away i am glad that people keep on pushing back against this yeah although i am horrified by the number of of critics again primarily men although some women were involved who basically said like oh this isn't a big deal you know why are we ruining this man's career? It's just like, you know what? The New York Times just fired an editor for uh, saying that she felt a sense of relief when Biden was elected. Like, mm -hmm. they fired her for that. And this motherfucker is allowed to continue to write for Variety, is allowed to continue, you know, it's just like you're ruining his career by calling him a misogynist, which is exactly what he is. Yeah. Um, yeah fuck you this this is this is ridiculous like i i've i have realized over the past few years that men will bend over backwards and twist themselves into all kinds of shapes to be a, be allowed to say ridiculously misogynist things but also like just grab their pearls when someone says hey man that's misogynist <laughs> yeah Oh, I love this part too in the Guardian article where he says um, that there was a discrepancy between the reaction um, and the distributor, like her, Carrie Mulligan's reaction and the distributor. And he says they immediately asked permission to use multiple qu pull quotes from the review in their marketing a year ago. I got the same flipping email, dude. And guess what? They didn't use either of our quotes. So shut up. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Men. Men 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 anyway um so what else should we talk about this week <laughs> oh speaking of men and by the way i just have to say just side note and i know we've talked about this a lot before but this week i was having a conversation with a friend and i said something about republicans and she's like but see don't you understand like when you say that that's just really um divisive because not all republicans blah 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 i'm like okay hold on because when i say i said i never said the word all i said republicans and so then i explained to her i was just like you know when someone says 
white people do this or white women do that. I said, I hear those things all day long. And when I hear that, I stop and I think, is that something that I do? And if it isn't, then I move on with my life because I know they're not talking about me. And if it is something I do, then I stop and think like, is that something I should change? And she's just like, well, you have to understand that most people don't think like that. And I said, well, they should. <laughs> uh, I mean, Karen, you are a white woman named Karen, for God's sake. <laughs> I know. Like, <laughs> if I anyone know. needs to be like, okay, it is not about me. <laughs> yep. That's yeah <laughs> but yeah I was just like well I know most people don't think like that that but most people should think like that yeah it would be a lot better place <laughs> if they did so anyway on that note men uh <laughs> and by the way in this case we are talking about all men like all of you every <laughs> single one of you I do not make any exceptions the other day I like just looked at my dad and was like men and he was like what did I do <laughs> just like just you're just sitting there with your being a man <laughs> you know what you did you know what you did it's like it's true I know I'm like he's he's, he's a he's you know a middle-aged uh, middle-aged cisgendered white man like he's absolutely <laughs> the enemy poor dad <laughs> you know I have not met your dad but I talk to you every week and you're pretty awesome so he must be too <laughs> he's all right he's all right <laughs> hi dad thank you so uh our main topic this week is was gonna be about may west um and we will reschedule that for another time because that's gonna be a fun one but uh we decided to change our schedule around because there was an article this week in the ringer Mm -hmm. that was the 50 best cult movies and we both looked at the list and I'm pretty sure all of the participants in this article were men, but it was all written by staff members from, let's see, let's see who we got. John, Miles, Rob, Mose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not seeing any female names. Justin. Oh, there's Alyssa. Okay. Uh, anyway, so. They One ranked, woman. Great. Yeah. So they ranked the 50 best cult movies and we looked at this list and went no uh we could do better than this so (laughs) we decided this week we want to talk about what even is a cult movie and because they don't they don't seem to know well and i think that there was not a single film that had been made before like 1970 or something like that and and it was like okay so you just don't so you just like left out most cult movies great awesome mm-hmm. thank you <laughs> yep 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 so we decided to start off by talking about first of all what is the definition of a cult movie see this is again we we always seem to pick topics where where we're like so how do we define film noir it's like it's a <laughs> it's a more of a feeling <laughs> um yeah I, I i think that most people define cult movies as movie movies around which a cult springs up usually they're films that either don't do terribly well at the box office they're not particularly mainstream films um or they're like b d z level movies that are kind of intended to you know play at cheap cinemas etc and around them this sort of cult veneration forms 
And so what we call cult movies can, is very nebulous in that sense. Like, you know, is this more of, is this just a bad movie or is there like some cult that has developed around it that has kind of treated it, you know, sh shown in midnight showings, um, shown in kind of these bad revivals. Have, has MST3K uh, riffed on it? Uh, and that's, that's to me <laughs> always, always a good indication of a cult movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and if you look at just the basic definition of cult, um, it's devotion toward a subject or a figure or something like that. Um, another definition I like is a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing. So I would say like uh, the Snyder Bros would be a cult. <laughs> <laughs> And so I have decided that I'm preemptively calling the Zack Snyder Justice League a cult movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you make so many people mad. About I know. Wow. They don't listen to the show anyway. It's no, funny. they don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, I think that, that uh, yeah, I think it's worth talking about because, you know, when I was younger, much younger, like you go to Hollywood video or blockbuster video and they actually had a section in the video store that was cult movies and it was all stuff that i'd never heard of you know and it was it wasn't anything that was mainstream um you know midnight movies were a thing but it was like you really had to to find them because just the regular movie theaters didn't the chain movie theaters didn't do those at the time usually so yeah so cult movies were something that were usually more like kind of an underground thing and but in recent years there's a lot more mainstream stuff and so this is one of the things that i wanted to talk about is like is a movie like the room which became a fathom event nationwide and had a movie about the making of it like does that still qualify as being a cult movie was it ever a cult movie uh i don't know um I, yeah, I, I think that this is the difference between films that are underseen, films that are cult, and films that are mainstream films that kind of are almost sleeper hits that didn't do well or that weren't expected to do well and then suddenly became really popular. Mm -hmm. um, see, The Room is difficult because I think in some ways it does qualify as a cult movie because this was a, a very small film um that was you know it's a completely completely independent film mm -hmm. uh and it kind of i remember for me at least the first time i heard about it was when someone in my like film studies class mentioned it and i was like what the fuck is the room and you know you went to youtube and found basically the best clips from the room <laughs> uh and so it, it did seem to be like, at least when it started out, it was one of those things that people began talking about it because there were a few people who had seen it and were like, oh my God, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It's so bad that it's, it's funny and it's entertaining. Um, you know, and then it turned into, like you say, it turned into this major mainstream thing to the point that there's a movie about the making of the movie. Like, but at the it same time- It was nominated for Oscars, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But at the same time, so yeah, it's sort of hard to say that it isn't a cult film. It's a cult film that has now, that the cult has spread, that the cult spread so widely that it became a mainstream success. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I don't know. That's the way that I would think about it. Yeah. That's, that, that's how I feel about it too. And I feel like because of that, I do think it's possible. And it's funny because I had already uh, thrown this in there to talk about, but then we got a question about it too. But I think it's possible for a film to kind of lose its cult status once it reaches a certain level of, of um, popularity or notoriety. I don't well, know. Yeah, a good example of this or another one to kind of think about is Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm -hmm. uh which i love and um you know i think a lot of people love whether or not you've been to the midnight showings and done all the things but rocky horror picture show is kind of it's the quintessential midnight movie uh you know to the point that there are all of these rules now if you go to a midnight showing of rocky horror and you have to and you dress up and you have all of these callbacks and all of this stuff um but you know it's at the point where what abc did like a streaming version of a, a, like a live version of the rocky horror picture show it's like okay so it's based on a fairly successful um stage show right so you know do would we really consider it to be a cult movie it's certainly transgressive and it was certainly transgressive when it was made uh and it remains very transgressive in its own way but it's so popular and it's so well known that like everybody loves Rocky Horror Picture Show. Everybody has gone to see Rocky Horror Picture Show in some capacity. And even if you haven't seen it, you know the music from it. Yeah. So, yeah, you yeah. know, you know the time warp. I mean, uh, funnily enough, uh, one of my friends in high school, we we did like one act plays at the end of our senior year. One of my friends actually did excerpts from Rocky Horror Picture Show, <laughs> and she almost got into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> we, it almost didn't happen. Um, I think she had to cut out one of the numbers because the, the teacher who's in charge was like, I don't think this is appropriate, um, <laughs> which, you know, so in that sense, yeah, it, it is like it's it's on the edge. But this this is, you know, a public school in rural New York. So can you really say that that a film like that remains too transgressive at some level? I don't know. It's I think it's an it's a difficult one because it, it doesn't lose its cult status because it's popular because that's not the way that it started out but it's become mm -hmm. so popular that yeah. it it's almost had its its teeth removed yeah yeah that's true so well why don't we talk really quickly kind of a little bit about the history of of cult films and um like, what was the first cult movie and why was it Nosferatu? <laughs> <laughs> um, see, this this was a weird definition to me. And I was like, why is it, why is this a cult movie? I wouldn't consider it to be a cult film. Um, but, but it makes sense if you look at the history of what happened with that movie, though. Yeah, so so it was circulated um, via basically illegal bootlegs for a long time because the the Bram Stoker estate was attempting to suppress it. <laughs> and at one point, I think Bram Stoker's widow actually wanted all copies of the film destroyed. So she almost and she almost succeeded. She almost completely destroyed Nosferatu. Mm -hmm. But Nosferatu is weird. Would I mean standing here right now? Would we really consider Nosferatu to be a cult movie? or something like uh, some of the later ones in Night of the Hunter or the Marx Brothers films or Rocky Horror, you know, are these right. really cult? Right. Well, and I think that's where it comes back to like, I mean, is there even such a thing as a cult movie? <laughs> Does that exist anymore? And like, cause if you look at, okay, people were sharing these bootlegged versions of 
of Nosferatu or other movies back in the early days before you could just spit torrent everything. Um, I don't know. Like it, it makes sense how that kind of popped up. And then thinking back to the early days with video stores and like, these were these movies that very few people saw, but now today, I know we talk about how so much of our film history is being lost and so many movies are not being like adapted to new mediums or whatever, but there's still ways to get access to so many movies. So it's like, is there such a thing as a cult movie anymore? Does that, does that even exist? Well, I I think that one of the definitions that, and this is where it begins to edge into discussions of camp, but one of the definitions that's often used of a, a cult film is that it's, it's in opposition to the mainstream. So it's transgressive at some level. And the mainstream changes, obviously. So what was mainstream in 1920 and what was mainstream in 1970 and what is mainstream today are different things. So mm-hmm. hence Rocky Horror, right, is very is a very transgressive film. It's dealing with sexuality and gender identity and violence and music and all kinds of things that, and, and it's, it's very loosely structured and all of this stuff. So if you look at that film, um, in the period that it was being made and in the period it was being released, oh, yes, it's definitely a cult movie. It's definitely transgressive. It's definitely challenging narrative form. It's challenging, rep- you know, what is acceptable in representation. Um, it has all of these camp elements to it. So I think that at that level, yes, there are still cult movies because there are still films that are challenging what there that are challenging what is acceptable in the mainstream and what um what people will actually embrace yeah no what you said makes makes sense um and so i guess what are some current examples then of of cult movies what is like are they still making them today and is this something that they can make on purpose see that was the question that i was thinking about and i'm actually struggling to think of like contemporary contemporary cult movies the the earliest ones or the earliest uh the the more the most recent one that i can think of is the room um uh but which was not intentionally cult yeah and and i think that that's part of it is that there are these films that are being produced that are intended in some way to be elevated to cult status so a, a recent example would be sharknado Mm-hmm. Um, and the the various Sharknado films, or the Velocipaster. S- sorry, I, I just to jump in. I would say not Sharknado so much, but like all the sequels, because I think that those um, those sci-fi movies they're just made to be funny. And I think somewhere along the way, like Sharknado in particular caught on, and so then they started doing all the sequels specifically because they were trying to make like popular cult movies mm-hmm. does that make sense i yeah but even with sharknado it's it's so obvious the original film it's so obviously deliberate like right. it's deliberately extreme it's deliberately stupid it's you know and then yeah and then you get all of the sequels that are, are that go along with it um and you kind of mean like okay well what is what is the intention here the, uh, another one that recently came out was is velocipaster Mm -hmm. (laughs) right so but you get those kinds of films that it's like this is in this is supposed to be too much right this is supposed to be extreme and i think that some of it is is also like what is this actually doing 
Yeah. Right. Is so if we're talking about cult films as transgressive or as challenging to the mainstream at some level, these films don't really challenge that much. They're not an innovation of form. They're not an innovation in terms of, of depictions of gender or sexuality or race or you know anything like that. So what are they really there to do? They're there to to kind of get this like, oh, it's so bad, it's good kind of mentality running around. But they don't really do much other than that. They're just kind of bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. And then I think about, because I don't know, can you intentionally make a cult movie? I mean, if you are intentionally doing it and it works and it becomes popular, then is it really a cult movie? I don't think it is. But then I think of movies like, I mean, similar to The Room, one of my favorite recent disasters is Replicas, which I've talked about a lot. And still nobody will watch this movie and I love how bad it is and it's so great. Um, but also it's 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 just a bad movie. And that's where it's like, okay, just just on your point, your definition of like these movies that are transgressive, that um challenge the mainstream. It's like, no, Replicas was a science fiction movie that I think I mean, part of why I love it so much is because you can tell they were earnestly trying to make a good science fiction movie and failed. And so that's where it gets back into like, okay, so is a cult movie just a bad movie that people like? Is that one of the definitions of it? Or does it have to have some other element to it? And that's where I get stuck and I don't really... I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think that it's hard to say because there are definitely films that thinking about that I would be like, yeah, these are definitely cult movies that d- don't fit the criteria of being transgressive or actually trying to do something interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that there is something transgressive even in people make trying to make a good movie and winding up making a bad one. Um, and uh, the example that I always think of is Ed Wood, who is sort of the, <laughs> the crown the crown prince. Of, yeah of bad movies right but ed wood really truly believed that he was making good movies Mm -hmm. and he tried really hard to make good movies like he had no budget he had bad actors he had a total lack of understanding of the cinematic medium um of how to direct a film of how to arrange shots of how to edit um and his film, but his films are incredibly earnest. Like you watch Plan 9 from Outer Space and it's a terrible movie, but those actors are dedicated to that movie. They are just like, we are going, you know, the, the whole um, Solaronite bomb speech in Plan 9 from Outer Space is hilarious, not just because it's ridiculous, but because the actor and the director and everyone involved really think that they're doing something great here <laughs> and there's there's a respectability I think to that earnestness it's not necessarily that, that you want to sit there and mock them but more that you're just like they really believe in this and there is something very true I guess yeah um, it's not cynical it isn't an attempt to you know be like ah ha ha look how stupid we are it's it, it really is just like i i'm gonna make this great movie about you know a bomb that is gonna explode the sun or explode the earth or something like that and and it's completely nonsensical to everybody but you <laughs> yeah um, but but a lot of ed wood's films on that note a lot of ed wood's films are transgressive like he made films he made a film called glenn or glenda 
um, which is about at the time it was it was called cross-dressing uh, and, and was very challenging in a lot of ways to the mainstream was not something that the mainstream was going to talk about or make movies about and at that level yeah I, I think that he is doing something whether or not he knows it that is very politically and culturally transgressive yeah well and if you that makes sense that totally makes sense um going back to my example with like replicas i think that that's where it goes back to if you peel back just just to like what does a what is a cult in general it's something that at its base has a passionate following and so it's like there's a lot of things that that do have that where it may be like even if it is mainstream it's still like these movies have this really really passionate core group of people so it's it, that's where it's like this is this is difficult to talk about um in a way like there's not a set definition there's not a set criteria for what qualifies as a cult movie i think if there was then then there really wouldn't be cult movies yeah yeah because you can't i i think that some of this is that you can't predict what mm -hmm. is going to be a cult movie and what isn't um i and i don't i do i i i'm going to agree that i don't think you can set out to make a cult movie you could certainly set out to make a movie that is different from what the mainstream does um, and at that level, someone like John Waters definitely makes cult movies, but mm -hmm. he, and he's deliberately making films that, that go against, that horrify the mainstream, that go against what we accept as mainstream. Right. Um, and well, and I would say, people. sorry. So it, no, it's just, just more challenging films to good taste and to, <laughs> you know, what we think is okay to show on screen. Mm hmm well and i would say by that and he's probably the only one that i would specifically put into this category but he's kind of a cult leader because of that like yeah he intentionally does does things that do challenge the mainstream he know but he knows what he's doing he understands that and it works because he also has this passionate base of, of fans and followers who will just see whatever he tells them to watch not just not not to sound like he's forcing people or anything like that it's not against their will it's just like they trust him they trust his his taste and so they'll they'll watch what he recommends and they'll watch what he makes and but he's probably the only person i could think of that i would put into that category when it comes to film yeah and and you know that when he talks about things when he recommends something you know that it's going to be challenging like uh -huh. it might be very uncomfortable it might be gross it might not be something you actually want to watch you know? mm -hmm. um but it, it's it's honest and and maybe that's what it ultimately comes down to that the, that these films have to have an honesty to them um that they're not deliberately setting out to make money they're not deliberately setting out to to uh to you know achieve some kind of mainstream status they're deliberately setting out to be like i'm gonna make i'm gonna gross you out you know or i'm, I'm going to make you think about the the culture in a different way mm -hmm. uh the the other person that i think might fall into a similar category is john waters although in a slightly different vein would be someone like um uh, uh roger corman Oh, yeah. um, who was a director is also producer and produced huge numbers of films some of them very good and some of them very bad um 
but that kind of he he is kind of this this guru particularly of the the sort of 60s 50s 60s 70s 80s (laughs) um who you know his films again it's that challenging of what is good what is good taste what is decent filmmaking what is entertainment uh all of that and you know he's he's making low budget films for the most part but some of them are truly great low budget films yeah well i thought it might be fun to go through some of the movies that are on the ringer list and talk (laughs) about why they're wrong (laughs) good idea good idea because let's just you know let's just assassinate other websites i think yeah let's do it well i will say that a few of these i actually do agree with like um um like empire records i would agree that's a Mm. cult movie would you agree with that i haven't actually seen it but i know of it so (laughs) sure i have it on dvd and yeah i have a few friends that every year celebrate rex manning day and if you had seen the movie you would understand that um but uh yeah so i i would say that that one counts but then there's other movies where i'm just like clue yeah clue no how is clue a cult movie and i know that they start off by defining it as like movies that uh let's see they say they asked voters to consider only films that were a not successful at the box office b not widely and initially praised by critics and c gained popularity only after they left theaters whether by word of mouth midnight screenings or home video success see i think in a lot of ways that's too wide of a definition of cult movies oh yeah definitely because because you can say that about you can say that about a lot of films to be honest fuck man you can say that about the lone ranger which mm-hmm. is a disney movie with two major stars in it yep <laughs> that film has not aged well uh <laughs> it wasn't particularly good when it came out but whoo <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean you could say that about gone with the wind <laughs> yeah yeah you could you could yeah it, I, I think that that's too broad of a definition and and it is it would be one of the reasons why there are so few films on that list from uh from before 1970 because you have different criteria basically right yeah exactly um let's see what are some other ones on here that i was just like what um event horizon no Here's why I definitely would disagree about Event Horizon is I remember going to see a different movie the week that that came out and they came into like it was a brand new movie theater it was like a multiplex and um in our town and they would come in like opening weekends of of big movies and they'd just do some announcements and like oh and by the way we have this playing and that and you know that kind of thing and I don't remember what movie I was watching but Uh, when they came in to do some announcements and stuff they mentioned event horizon and that it was like people were getting so scared they were walking out and demanding their money back and stuff and and i just remember i was just like oh i have to go see this movie then (laughs) and it was like it was very talked about at the time that it came out so no good good marketing yeah great marketing It, it reminded me of um did you ever see the movie crazy people no with dudley moore uh that's a movie that i would say is underseen not a cult movie even though like 
I know four people that have seen it and it's because I made them watch it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Dudley Moore plays this advertising executive whose girlfriend breaks up with him and he just is like super depressed and he's like, I can't lie anymore and my whole job is lying. So they send him to an institution and because he, he has written these ads that are all based on truth instead of lies one of them is for a movie it accidentally gets printed in the newspaper and it says paramount pictures presents the freak this movie won't just scare you it will fuck you up for life (laughs) and there's this great line with jt jt walsh and he's like i want to know how the fuck the word fuck got printed in the new york fucking times (laughs) it's hilarious anyway uh, yeah so when i think of event horizon i think of crazy people and that movie <laughs> the freak <laughs> uh crazy people's not a great movie but i recommend it let's see what are some other ones on here that stuck out to you there's a couple terry gilliam movies okay mcgruber why is mcgruber on here yeah, mcgruber is not mcgruber is not neither is fear and loathing in las vegas like no. I, i'm just looking at these at some of these films for, like i i american see, I get, psycho yeah i don't understand what like i i get the criteria that they use but that's why i'm saying it's such a broad it's it's too broad of criteria in order to say oh, this is a cult movie Mm-hmm. We're, we're sitting here we're even having some difficulty defining it but it, it is that that there's a sensation to it so maybe it's not that you can necessarily define it. it's like it has to hit all of these things exactly um but this yeah fear and loathing in las vegas um stranger than paradise clue labyrinth office space yeah no big trouble in little china brazil no, some of this I think is just because these films didn't do well at the box office or something. Yeah, and it's like, um, I mean, I would say a movie like Donnie Darko probably would count as a cult movie because, um, it it's one that a lot of people have seen it, but it was like a lot of the people who were in college when it came out all saw it, and yeah. that's kind of it. That's the audience for it. Um, they're still obsessed with it even all these years later. Like, to me, that would fit kind of the criteria, really, of what a cult movie is. Yeah, and, and I think that for me, I keep on going back to this definition of it, of it needing to be transgressive at some level. Mm-hmm. Um, and Donnie Darko, I don't like. Oh, I hate that movie. <laughs> but, but I think that it is transgressive and it is challenging, mm-hmm. um, even even if it, you know, whether or not it works. But it, it is definitely challenging mainstream filmmaking at some level um a lot of the films that they have listed in on this are are just they're they're not really much of anything to be totally honest so some of them are like single are like you know debut features from direct from indie directors it's like okay uh Mm You know, if, if we're going to talk about Jim Jarmusch, it's like, okay, well, I mean, you could probably say that a lot of Jim Jarmusch's films are, are cult at some level, so why Stranger Than Paradise? Right, yeah. Um, why Clerks, you know, one of Kevin Smith's earliest films. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, okay, if someone's debut film was le- was lesser seen because they were, a de- they were a, you know, a brand new filmmaker and it was an indie film, but then they become much more popular to the point where they're you know running the bill and ted panel at comic-con <laughs> like 
are their early movies really cult movies no even if they don't get picked up and seen later like would we say Catherine bigelow the only woman who's ever won best director would we say that her uh, what was her vampire movie um is that after dark after dark would we say that's a cult movie i wouldn't i think that some people would to be told totally yeah honest. that's actually <laughs> as soon as i said i wouldn't i was like wait would i <laughs> uh yeah but it, it, at the same time like you could i i don't know you could say that francis ford coppola's bram stoker's dracula is a cult movie like is it i don't think it is uh <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of i think that the problem that that the this particular list has is that they're not interrogating the nature of cult movies enough mm-hmm. um and you know we've spent the past 45 minutes trying to do this and just being like well but is it though is it that like is that what that means <laughs> um and i think that sometimes it's it's difficult as we've proven to actually be like well how are we going to define this um i i think that there does have to be a push back against mainstream filmmaking at some level yeah and i think against mainstream culture within the time period and that's Mm -hmm. that's why i think that's that's an important point that what is considered to be queer cinema in the 1950s is very different from what is considered to be queer cinema in in 2021 um and so we have to have those definitions that are are kind of shifting uh, yeah in order to establish this yeah and well that's why i think a cult movie i think you just hit it on the head i think a cult movie is something that um for for whatever reason the fan base is kind of pushed underground so to speak um in the time of that movie now what happens later if it if it becomes popular if it gains its popularity during that same basic time period then i think that it's not really a cult movie even if it takes a little bit of time uh because some movies just become more popular right after they leave theaters uh i think if it takes some time and maybe like into the next generation of movies or filmmakers or whatever and then becomes popular i don't think it necessarily means that it wasn't a cult movie i think it just is a cult movie that has become accepted by a different audience you know what i mean does yeah. i don't know if that made sense no i think that that does make sense and i i think that particularly if you're talking about that underground element mm-hmm. um and and that's why a number of the films that we've mentioned are actually films that are, are queer or are feminist yeah um and some of that is because what was acceptable you know what was acceptable to express your your feminism or your queer identity or, or your gender identity um was not you know it wasn't acceptable in the 1970s it wasn't acceptable in the 1960s and so when you get these films that are sort of celebrated by those communities uh because of what they're depicting because of their willingness to depict something that is taboo in mainstream culture um those taboos change right so watching so again to go back to my example of ed wood um and glenner glenda if you watch that film now some of it's honestly downright offensive (laughs) But in the period, it is actually one of the few films that is, you know, kind of trying to explore in a very confused and uh, not always clear way, this this question of of what what at the time was called cross dressing or tra- or being a transvestite, and that's unique in that period when that film is being made. It was the same thing with something like Rocky Horror, which is transgressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't feel that way now, partially because it's so popular, but partially because, you know, um, being transgender, being gay, et cetera, 
um, is much more acceptable. Not murdering people, we're still not okay with that, which is a good thing. Uh, <laughs> or cannibalizing people, although that's changing. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that transgression is more acceptable now, but it was still transgressive in the period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've got a couple of comments. We've kind of already addressed, I think, everything from Darren Wadsworth, who is at Dazzle Loves Movies. Um, he said, interested to know how cult is defined. I think we've made it pretty clear that it's not. If a film gets a certain level of popularity, is it no longer cult? Can a really obscure film be considered a cult? Uh, so I think we've pretty much addressed all of those. Can Have we? yeah i think that we have or tried to yeah we've tried we've tried if you still have questions or if you have your own thoughts please let us know um we also got a comment from shakita who is at serena six seven eight three um i'd say ghost world is one of my all-time favorite cult movies also the film called happiness a movie that came out in 1998 not sure if it's cult but i worked at a video store in high school and it was in the cult section I've never even heard of happiness. No, me neither. And yeah, that's the kind of movie that I'm talking about where it's like, if I went to the cult section, it was all movies I had never heard of. So yeah, definitely. Um, Ghost Worlds is another one that I I have heard a lot about, but I've never actually seen it. Really? You've never seen Ghost World? I've never seen Ghost World. It's a good movie. It's an odd film, I think, in a lot of ways. Huh. Um, I, I, just, I just looked up Happiness from 1998. It, it's it sounds interesting. It's actually got, it's got Laura Flynn Boyle, Ben Gazzara, Jared Harris, Philip Seymour Hoffman. It looks like it's a, um, uh, it, it was awarded at the 1998 Cannes Film Festival for its bold tracking of controversial contemporary themes. Ooh, that sounds oh, fun. It sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't put this on the, uh, on the agenda but i was just was thinking about like what about international films i think that's where here for american audiences i think some cults can develop around some of those too um well yeah only like, because you know, again they're not really seen <laughs> well like, like the, the keiju films or kung fu movies mm -hmm. uh you know a lot of martial arts films in particular um get kind of this cult following that develops in the United States and possibly uh, elsewhere, as, elsewhere as well. I'm not going to make a blanket statement about that because I just don't know enough about audience reception in those countries. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I think that some of that is that some of those films seem so outside what we're used to. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm also thinking about like Bollywood films. There's, there's a large cult following in the United States uh, among um among white people and uh, among people who don't come from an Indian uh, culture um, to sort of, kind of almost venerate this, the extremism of what, what we perceive as the extremism of Bollywood films. Whereas in India, obviously they're not extreme at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think of movies like Audition or Old Boy or, you know, movies yeah. that definitely do challenge some of our cultural norms even in the countries that they're from they do and um but it's i don't know yeah it's like a mo certain movies would be mainstream at home but wouldn't 
be here so it's like does does geography matter when we're defining a cult movie mm-hmm. i uh, i don't know i think it it kind of does a little bit yeah i think that it does and and i think that what we're also what we're talking about here is shifting sort of into camp so like you say what is perceived as being transgressive in the united states is not transgressive elsewhere what is transgressive elsewhere actually might be transgressive in the united states there's there's all kinds of um and what is and what is considered to be extreme what is considered to be uh you know odd in terms of narrative storytelling or non-narrative storytelling all of that stuff is very different from country to country and so sometimes i think we pick things up in the united states um that we consider to be odd but wouldn't necessarily be considered odd in their country of origin Mm -hmm. yeah let's see um so (laughs) i think i just made a mistake in um looking at (laughs) i decided to pull up wikipedia's list of cult films and look through it and i kind of wish i hadn't (laughs) because some of these i'm like what who wrote this (laughs) see this is one of the things that bothers me about some of the the film lists i think that some people just google cult films and they just click on the wikipedia entry and are like oh this is the Mm -hmm. definition then actually the initial article about cult films on wikipedia is pretty good yeah um for just a general overview but their list of cult films and not so much babe pig in the city and a motherfucking cult film yeah um i shouldn't say that i shouldn't use such language surrounding (laughs) babe pig in the city but still billy madison it's not no i don't know what bill and ted's excellent adventure here are some movies that i saw when i was a teenager Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean that's what that list is blade runner no that's a Uh, big budget film yeah um let's see blazing saddles no 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 none of this is correct no this is all incorrect this is all so bad um let's see I mean, some of these I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, that would work. But others I'm like, what? Uh, they have all the versions of Black Christmas on this list. See, I think that that the, the second, the, the remake of Black Christmas, the most recent remake, is going to achieve cult status because it seems to have been embraced a lot uh, since it came out, even though a bunch of stupid men kind of torpedoed it. I think that's same. why it's going to be a cult movie is because a bunch of stupid yeah. men torpedoed it. Yeah, same, same thing. Um, actually, I should have mentioned the story. Same thing with Jennifer's body. Uh, it had a similar kind of reaction where it should have been bigger than it was and it was kind of ignored and lambasted and then it, it, kind of, it got a new lease on life when people actually began watching it. Yep. Okay, I found it. Here it is. The ultimate cult movie the brave little toaster <laughs> wow first of all that movie fucked me up uh when i was a kid <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh this list it, but then there's movies on here where i'm like oh yeah brick I, I could see that being a, a cult movie best in show what like yeah i uh, know i don't know yeah these these dumb these things that people can just anybody can contribute to like then you run into problems like this yeah yeah lady abolique no 
no no um <laughs> i don't know uh <laughs> oh now i got oh, hold on i gotta check one because this is all by by letter my starting letter so it's like i have to hunt back the shawshank redemption okay this is totally off topic but i still do not understand why men love the Shawshank Redemption. It pops up on so many best of lists and I never get it. I'm like, why? Why this film? What is it about this film that you love so much? It's it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but it is not the greatest film ever made. Why? Why do you love it? I don't get it. Men, <laughs> please inform me because it's only you guys. It is never women. Women are never like, oh yes, my favorite movie is the Shawshank Redemption. No woman has ever said that in the history of, of being female um please, yeah man, i mean i really me. like yeah like <laughs> i really like that movie but i don't consider it even the best movie of 1995 so <laughs> yeah it's like so beloved and i don't get it yeah they have such a reverence for it and i just yeah i mean i think i think it's a good movie i really like it i think the performances are good um but i, I yeah i don't i don't understand why it's revered the way that it is um yeah so i was just looking for a movie that wait what the fuck why is the sound of music on here ah yes the famous cult movie the sound of music yeah, just <laughs> turn off wikipedia that's it we're done. some like it hot <laughs> space jam space jam there we go that's a motherfucking transgressive movie i don't know what you're talking about i went to the s's because i wanted to see if the slumber party massacre was on here and it is not Summer Party Massacre 2, which is the greatest horror film ever made. It is. Uh, <laughs> and I will start a cult just dedicated to the Slumber Party Massacre 2 and the Driller Killer. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so, is there anything else we should uh, mention? I think, that we've, I think that we've beaten it to death, to be honest. I think that we have established that there is no real definition of cult except not the one that the ringer used exactly exactly and also, even though they they occasionally got some of their entries correct uh their reasoning was wrong therefore the entire list is wrong also watch more movies everybody please mm -hmm. please just like movies that were made before you were born preferably movies that were made before 1970 like there's just a wealth of weird shit out there so you know i'm gonna even go listen to john waters <laughs> well be careful in what you listen to john waters about but uh <laughs> i'm even gonna go so far as to say don't just watch movies from before you were born watch movies from before your parents were born watch the movies that your grandparents were going to see which i just realized for some of our listeners is probably my parents <laughs> oh i'm old um <laughs> there was a thing today on twitter that was like post a or name a movie like what was the most popular movie in the box office the week that you turned 20 and mine was empire strikes back the special edition and someone was like the special edition right and i was like how old do you think i am yes the special <laughs> edition it was the re-release it was not the original oh <laughs> uh, you make me feel young karen <laughs> <laughs> oh man you are young i remember when i was your age 
barely because it was so long ago (laughs) (laughs) Uh, anyway all right well yeah watch watch movies watch lots of movies because movies are good and you probably wouldn't be here listening to a film podcast if you didn't think so so listen to us and watch movies watch the slumber party massacre too and replicas make it a double feature yes oh that'd be a fun double feature maybe that's what i'll do tonight (laughs) all right okay well yeah i think we've beaten this dead horse a lot um so that's gonna wrap things up for this week we finally hey big announcement we finally have made the changes to our patreon that we've been promising for a while um they go into effect by the time you're listening to this episode they are in place because we decided to make it effective february 1st which is monday which is for those of you who are already patrons you're listening to it right now um for those of you who are not you can go to our patreon page patreon.com slash citizen dame and check out uh, our changes we've streamlined things a little bit we had five tiers but we've gotten rid of the top and the bottom one so there's no more one dollar tier and there's no more ten dollar tier um so now the first level is three which still gives you the early access to our episodes and all of, all of our bonus episodes um we're also going to be redesigning our logo and doing new buttons so anybody who's at the three dollar tier um will get one anybody who signs up for it will get one so yeah um and then we have our five so our tiers are three five and seven dollars basically so um the five dollar level will get you um more buttons it will also get you access to we're this year we're going to be doing more uh well we're going to start doing some patron only events like watch along parties that kind of thing so you'll get access to those um at our seven dollar tier you'll also get to submit we're bringing back our citizen dame fives on our website so you'll get to submit categories for those you'll get to submit topics for the monthly bonus episodes all that stuff so um lots of fun things are coming this year we're really excited for 2021 so um yeah so for more information you can go there we would like to thank all of our patrons as always thank you to uh ali matt heather adriana michael james katie cariata mason matthew michelle monty nanina nicole robert sharon steve tau and will uh thank you and we also do have our ko-fi so if you don't want to sign up and be a patron you but you want to uh help us out our ko-fi is co-fi.com slash citizen name we do also have our zazzle store where you can get t-shirts and masks wear your fucking mask um and lots of other fun things that are there now but also other things that are going to be coming soon uh once we get the logo all uh freshened up and that is zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod we have our official website citizen dame pod.com my review for wonder woman finally came out this week as soon as hbo max didn't have the movie anymore because i have great timing um but we also have some other things that are coming up there as well you can also reach out to us on twitter and instagram at citizen dame pod or you can email us citizen dame pod at gmail.com and you can find us individually lauren where are you at i'm on twitter and instagram at lh business and i'm on twitter and instagram at karen m peterson 
So thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Now it's time for the fun part. Like my sound, let's go.